Good morning, and happy Father's Day. Great to see you here. I know what you're thinking. You're asking the question, you're the preacher? Yeah. So does that mean you're guy, the guy with all the answers? No, I, I'm the guy that points to the guy with all the answers, and that would be Jesus Christ. We must never confuse the two. You know, in this uh, ultimate of team sports, what we call Team Christ, i.e. the church, we have to pay more attention to the name on the front of the jersey than the name on the back. I'm not being falsely modest. I, I know me, okay? I know my own weaknesses. I can't deny it. I'm in recovery. Oh, Kurt's in recovery? Hey, I got news for you. All God's children are in recovery. We're all recovering sinners. And for that, we need the grace of God. Truth be known, we're all a mess. We're all a little bit, maybe more than a little bit off-center. We all have our own brand of little weirdnesses and idiosyncrasies. None of us is as spiritual as we look. Hey, just ask the people we live with, okay? We gotta get real. I'm convinced that God allowed me to get sick this week. I'm frankly sick this morning. But I wanted to be here so desperately. And I think God ordained that I be sick to illustrate to you that God does not prize human strength. Not even among males. It's only in our weakness and our admission of such that God provides his strength and his power. Remember what it says in Romans 8, 26, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness? And when Paul prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be revealed, Jesus said, no, but my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength's made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said, well, much more will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I come to you in great weakness today, hoping to illustrate to you that all of us must provide the weakness if we are to enjoy God's strength. What is your weakness? Well, there's a weakness that I see a lot in my own life. I'll talk about it, your lives. Historically, the American church has not talked about certain private struggles that carry a stigma. One of those is what we call mental health, or the lack thereof, otherwise known as mental illness. This is one of the unmentionables in most churches. You won't hear a message like this in most churches because we try to avoid the tough stuff. But that silence flies in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Consider some statistics from national health organizations. One in four adult Americans experiences some kind of mental illness in any given year. That's 50 million people. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide and will be the single largest healthcare expense next year in 2020. Every year, one million Americans are treated for suicidal thoughts, for behaviors and attempts, and 45,000 attempts are successful. 65% of family members and 59% of those who suffer with mental illness agree that their church should talk more openly about mental illness. I could take a moment to survey those of you who are here today. I know what you would say. 
you know someone who's in counseling, someone who's in therapy, someone who's going to a doctor because they're struggling with anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder or a hundred other diagnoses that fall into the broad general category known as mental illness. Most of us here today, full disclosure, know of someone who has taken their life. It pains me to tell you that on our family farm here in Iowa, my grandfather took his own life by hanging. It's one of the most painful chapters in our family history. So it's time to break the silence in the church. Pastor Past has asked me to help us move beyond the whispering, beyond the shame, beyond the stigma. It's time to share our own vulnerabilities. So let's start with the pastors. Okay, if we can't get transparent, who else will? Do you know that fully 25% of all pastors have gone on record as saying, yeah, I have struggled with depression someplace along the line. And I think the number's probably higher than those who admit it. I've gone on record from this platform about my own struggle years ago. I still remember a Sunday just like this. After preaching my heart out when the Lights went out, and I fell into a black hole from which I could not extricate myself. Darkest experience of my life. I can't fully describe it to you. You say, what happened? Well, a variety of things. We've been trying to sell our home from a previous ministry. It took two and a half years. Market crashed. Moving from house to house within a short span of time, trying to find some place to stay. I broke both of my ankles. I got sick with the flu. And I was ministering in a church that had gone through a horrific split before I got there. It was a very, very broken church. I went on purpose to try to help them through their sorrow. It had been a, something of a mega church, but it had crashed and burned, losing hundreds of people because of burdens. And I went to minister, which is no small task. And, and suddenly, somehow, in my overload, my circuit breaker tripped, and it all went dark. You say, Kurt, is, is that embarrassing to admit? Yes, but it's necessary. You know, uh, a wounded healer may sound like an anomaly, but I don't think there are any other kind of healers but wounded healers. Why, why, why would God use the messed up person like me? The response is God doesn't have any other kind of people. You all with me, we're all a part of the human race. We're broken. We all have great weakness. We need to own up to it and talk about it openly. It's only pride that would keep me from telling you about the dark thoughts that raced through my mind in those days. Satanville Church does not believe there should be a stigma or a reductionist view toward admitting so-called mental or emotional problems. Two weeks ago when Pastor Pat launched this series on issues and inspiration, he, he established a foundation. We believe here at Satanville Church in the authority and the sufficiency of the scriptures. We at Sayreville Church believe in the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. We believe in the authority and the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to address the deepest of spiritual and emotional wounds. And that's what I'm gonna do today by God's grace. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 24. My sermon today addresses the church and mental health. You see the address there on the screen if you want to turn to it while you're turning. Let me make this admission. The Bible is not silent on this subject. Look at the listing on the screen. Consider the divine record of Job's overwhelming grief, 38 chapters of agony. Consider Saul's murderous rampages against David. Nebuchadnezzar's deranged behavior when it became something of like an animal described in the book of Daniel. Consider the ravings of the demoniacs in the Gospels. All of these are examples of extreme spiritual problems that go beyond the purview of the medical community's ability to address in a purely physical way. There's a spiritual dynamic, a moral dynamic to which we must speak. So let me begin by reading verse 14 in your hearing. It's what Paul says to the believers in this church. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to men and women. By the way, the you in context is not a reference to the pastors, but to the people who are the regular Joes and Janes listening to the word of God. This, this means, by implication, that the, all of you, if you're in Christ, all of you are counselors. You say, I don't feel like a counselor. You are a counselor. Every one of God's children is a counselor. You may be a bad counselor, <laughs> and hopefully you can become a better counselor, but we need to equip ourselves in understanding how to help people, whether it's in our cell group or some other context, we need to speak truth into people's lives, and this is how we do it. Three things Paul mentions. Admonish the idle, and encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and I like this last phrase, be patient with them all. Don't raise your hand. How many of you are patient with the people around you, starting with your own family? We need to be very patient and loving toward those who are hurting. There are reasons why we struggle mentally, emotionally. Sometimes they have biological roots. But I think more often than not, they have moral and spiritual roots. And this first item that Paul mentions falls into the second category, the idol. Greek, attack toss. It refers to those who are lazy, undisciplined, and insubordinate. This really is drawn from the military world where he's talking about a, a military soldier who, who doesn't keep rank, who does his own thing, doesn't keep in step. By the way, that's the definition of walking in the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit. There are Christians who push away from God, push away from God's word, and they struggle. They, they march through the cadence of their own drumbeat instead of God's. Now listen to me carefully. I'm talking about sinful behavior right now. It causes mental and emotional trauma beyond what I can fully describe. By the way, if you're new to our church, I'm the counseling pastor. This is what I do 24-7. America is suffering from a lack of discipline. There's a death of discipline in our nation and in our churches. A lack of discipline in life, in diet, in exercise, 
In spiritual disciplines, read by that, reading the word of God regularly and praying and being in small group. There's a lack of discipline in mental hygiene. These can set people up for a fall. These people, Paul says, are to be challenged, even warned. If someone allows their mind to be twisted through impurity, their body wasted through indolence or addictions, they will suffer emotionally. They will suffer spiritually. The way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible says. You suffer when you sin, and so do I. This is why confession of sin often leads to better health. The old adage is true. Confession's good for the soul. That's why we're commanded in James 5, 16, confess your faults, your sins to one another, and pray for one another. Why? So that you might be healed. If you just came clean with God today, all that junk, and put it on the blood of Jesus Christ, God would relieve you and free you and encourage you and in a way that you can't even imagine possible right now. The second category Paul mentions are the faint-hearted, Greek word alagasukas, literally meaning small-souled. You're around certain people and you see their souls shrinking in fear, afraid of everything. They're despondent, they're obsessive, preoccupied, I'm talking about fears. Many of the maladies listed under the heading of mental illness in America actually fall under the general biblical category of fear. And these saints should be reminded of the promises of Scripture and the providence of God. Listen to me, some practical advice. The late Warren Wiersbe put it so well. We we as Christians, we don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. Hear me, we do that by faith. We don't live by asking what if questions. What if, what if, what if, oh, what's gonna happen to me? No, we live by believing what is true based upon God's word, objective truth found in Christ in the gospel. And frankly, this is where I spend most of my time counseling those who come to me with panic attacks or depression. I encourage the faint-hearted with gospel reminders of who they are in Christ. I believe unless I get transparent, you won't get transparent, so I'm gonna be really transparent. In my desperate battle with depression years ago, I I didn't know if I was gonna make it. This little lady down here, down front, helped me immensely, my wife Karen, who'd gone through a postpartum depression, and she kinda walked me through what I needed to do, and I was so grateful. But I still remember that winter time, walking outside in the snow, feeling like I was going to die and afraid I wouldn't. I didn't know if I was gonna live or die. My soul was in such deep despair and darkness, and all I could do was cry out based upon the promises of God with tears streaming down my face. Quoting Psalm 34, 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. Those troubles are defined in verse 4 as fears, and I was overwhelmed with fear. Some of you are today where I was. I have nothing but empathy for you. I have no judgment for you when people come to my office. I'm not here to judge you, I'm here to help you. 
A lot of God's people are really hurting. A little advice, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on to God. <laughs> to God. Do you really believe that God is all-knowing, that he's up to something? And do you really believe that God is good, or are you, in essence, a practical atheist who denies the reality of God when the problems of life come your direction? I like the way the late R.T. Ketchum put it when he said, God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to make a mistake. If you're his own, he's going to take care of you. He'll see you through. You've got to believe that, in spite of how you feel. Third category Paul mentions is called the weak, Greek asthenia, referring to those whose spiritual and physical problems seem to conspire together to knock them down in life. We all know of people who are just really strugglers by nature and, and by choice, some from their very earliest days, maybe characterized by physical problems or bodily weakness, maybe it's something else in their makeup, but they just really struggle as Elizabeth Elliot once put it, people are either wanting something they don't have or they have something they don't want. And they're mad at God and they're pushing back at life. It's not uncommon for those who've gone through surgery or have sustained injury or disability, those who are going through grief to struggle with depression. Listen to me, I want you to be my fellow counselors. Because I've already told you, we're all counselors. We all need to help. These kind of people who are struggling, they need to be upheld in prayer with gracious, patient support and not condemnation. Every time we gather to worship, there are people all around you. Okay, I, I do this. I've, I've counseled many of the people that came to church today. <laughs> Everybody needs counseling, including this guy. Biblical counseling. But there are people right around you, right now, ahead of you, beside you, behind you, who are struggling. They won't say anything. You ask them when they come to church, how are you? They'll say, fine, liar. <laughs> Every time we preach, we're speaking to people who are dealing with some kind of mental upheaval. We must be sympathetic, loving, non-judgmental, let the accusation not be said of us as a church. Christians are the only army that shoot their wounded. Furthermore, we must not be dismissive of the medical component and read by that medicinal help. It has its place. Or even some psychological components. However, we believe that biblical truth speaks to the agonies of the soul in a way that goes beyond secular knowledge. The Word of God has answers if we know how to explain it appropriately. Paul gives us some examples here of what to do if you're struggling. Verses 15 through 22, let me read it for you. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, that is, don't say no to the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, that is, don't diss the word of God. 
but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Three practical insights here. First of all, we must replace bitterness with blessing. Verse, verse 15. I've I watched people who are going through a hard time and their reactions. Oftentimes when folks are going through a hard time, they push back. They hide out. They attack folks who are trying to help them. Now, you need to invest in others, not hide out from others. When, when you least feel like you want the church, you most need to connect with the church, and in particular, in a small group, what we call here at Sadieville Cell Groups. You need the life-on-life encouragement. You can't do it alone. No Lone Ranger Christians in the Bible. Number two, we must maintain an attitude of gratitude, verses 16 to 18. This is what I would call the proverbial prayer sandwich. It's kind of like the ice cream sandwiches we gave out in VBS last week. You know what an ice cream sandwich is, some vanilla ice cream. It's going to make you hungry before lunch. Vanilla ice cream sandwich on both sides by chocolate. Okay, prayer ought to be wrapped on both sides with two different flavors of chocolate, <laughs> praise and thanksgiving. And we start with praise, rejoice always. Would you start rejoicing despite how you feel? And by the way, if you can't rejoice in anything else, Paul told the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. There's our sphere of rejoicing and what he's done. And then he moves on in the middle to pray without ceasing, which is to be in a constant attitude of prayer. We ought to worry about nothing but pray about everything. Philippians 4, verse 6. To pray without ceasing means to be in a constant attitude of prayer, a constant dependence upon the Lord. I don't know if you do this. I I do this on a near daily basis. As I'm going about my day, I try to shoot little prayer missiles up to heaven because I want a relationship going on with him. Just under my breath, in my head, I say, Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me grace. I pray every day, Lord, would you control my thoughts and my words? Will you forgive me? Lord, I praise you for those beautiful flowers. Just an interactive relationship with Jesus. He's not this cosmic killjoy that's way off some deistic God. He's right here present in your life if you'll interact with him daily through prayer. On the other side of prayer, we are to give thanks in all things. Notice it says, in all things, not for all things. There is a difference. To do that, we must intentionally remember that nothing eternal can really ever be lost. So so what are you going through today? Is it disease, divorce, dementia, potential death? Here's God's word, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8, verse 39. And then thirdly, we must keep our minds saturated with spirit-inspired scripture, don't despise prophecies, and keep our hearts clear of life-dominating sin, abstain from every form of evil. Guilt-ridden counselees are confused. Guilt-ridden counselees are depressed. Guilt 
ridden counselees are unstable until they come clean through Christ. And I'm here to tell you, this is so wonderful. There is freedom in Christ. You can receive freedom for all of your sins. I don't care what you've done. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin if you only come clean with them and own it. And then you can in turn forgive people who've hurt you. You can choose to forgive because you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. What freedom there is there. Oh, to have a conscience without offense toward God vertically and toward man horizontally, Acts 24, 16. Clear thinking and clean living are the best aid to mental health, but that doesn't mean we won't have to keep battling to the very end. An old Scottish preacher was once asked, up in years, so does it get any easier to fight against the enemy, to live the Christian life the older you get? To which he replied in a Scottish brogue, eh? It's a solar fight to the very end. And so it is. So I want to charge you, my Christian friends, don't you stop fighting the devil and the flesh in the world. Fight the good fight and lay hold of eternal life. God has given you power in Ephesians 6 as we put on the whole armor of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his book, Recovering Redemption, Pastor Matt Chandler warns of what he calls silver bullet sanctification. What does he mean by that? Well, let me show you the quote. <clears throat> I think testimonies of, I never struggled after that, referring to conversion. Or I got saved and I never craved anymore, although good and awesome and I praise God for them, are not normative. Did you hear me? Those are not normative. If that's the testimony we're always putting in front of people, then ultimately they can grow disheartened. We've not arrived. None of us has, but we will eventually. So don't draw too many conclusions right now from a half-finished painting. You're looking, folks, at a half-finished painting. Probably looks a little messy right now. Oh, by the way, I'm looking at a whole lot of other half-finished paintings because that's where we are in the process of progressive sanctification. We have to remember the old request, please be patient with me, God's not finished with me yet. Some of you have parents or grandparents that are really struggling mentally. They have dementia or, or Alzheimer's. I've got good news for you. Not only one day when Christ returns, our bodies are resurrected, will they be given brand new bodies. They'll be given brand new minds. Forever clear of all that stuff that clouds them in a sinful world. I come to the final promise of our text in verses 23 and 24. Let me read it. Now may the God of peace himself Sanctify you, that has set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this last, this last phrase. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will complete your sanctification, but that which concludes must first of all have a starting point. So let me ask you, honestly, just if you were in my counseling office and it was one-on-one, -on -one, 
my eyes with yours. Have you ever had a starting point? I didn't ask if you believe in your head in God or Christ. Have you ever had a crossover moment when you personalized, as you heard these testimonies earlier, when you personally put your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he died for your sins and rose again, and you invited him to come in and change you through an act of repentance, believing the gospel. Has that ever happened? Begins by placing your faith in Christ for salvation, what we call being born again, and continues by trusting in Christ for sanctification and ultimate glorification. That is when we are perfectly changed. And I love theologically the way Paul pieces this together in the book of Romans chapter eight. We, we call this, theologians call this the golden chain. In verse 29 of Romans eight, for whom the Lord foreknew, that means he set his love upon in a sovereign grace kind of way. For whom the Lord foreknew, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that we might be the first fruits of his brethren. And then he makes this, this chain linkage you see on the screen. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined that is, he determined beforehand to make you his child. I don't understand this, but the Bible teaches it, sovereign grace. Those he predestined, he called. That's an effectual work of the Holy Spirit and calling your name and drawing you to himself. This is a sovereign work of grace. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. If you've heard the call of God and you've answered by faith, you know of which I speak. You've been transformed and what the Bible calls regeneration. Whom he foreknew, he predestined, and those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, which means to be declared righteous. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and those he justified, he glorified, he perfected. By the way, even though that's a future act, you'll notice that word is in the past tense, because in God's mind, it's already a done deal. When he looks at you in Christ, he sees you as perfect. That's why in scripture he calls you saint, Holy One, Hagios, completely righteous with God because of Jesus. So have you trusted in Christ? Have you believed that he alone can save you from the penalty of your sin and save you from the power of your sin? I believe verse 24 is something of a parallel to Jesus' statement on the cross just before he died. Remember what Jesus said when he said, it is finished to tell us die meaning it's, it's paid in full. I think that equals what this text is saying. Look at the screen. It is finished equals he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I love that. Bible says being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna close with an illustration some of you know, Pastor Pat sent out a memo this, this, this week. Uh, my wife Karen and I are flying to Germany on Wednesday where our youngest daughter and her husband are missionaries in St. Wendel, Germany. They, together with their three little kids, will board a flight here at Des Moines International Airport on Wednesday. We'll fly two hours to Detroit. We'll have a five-hour layover. We'll fly all night, nine hours, to Frankfurt, Germany, then get in a car with my son-in-law and drive down an hour and a half or two to St. Wendel, if you're counting that all together, travel time, that's probably, you know, 18, 19, 20 hours. I, I, not my first radio, I, I know what lies ahead for us on Wednesday. <laughs> okay, there's likely gonna be a few delays. And it's very likely that there's gonna be some turbulence along the way. 
full disclosure, uh, my wife and I try not to look at the age of the pilot <laughs> when we get on the plane, because the older we become, the more it looks like, they're letting kids fly transatlantic flights? Is this safe? Do I have a witness? <laughs> Decades ago, I boarded another flight destined for a place called heaven. The Bible calls it the New Jerusalem. We've had some delays in our lives. On Friday, I celebrated 44 years of marriage to this little lady. And come September, I will have been in the ministry for 45 years. And we've had some turbulence. I'm in the fourth quarter of my life We've had some turbulence along the way, but I'm here to tell you that he's a faithful God. He sees you through those ups and those downs, including those times when you feel like you're gonna crash and burn. Before I boarded that flight for heaven, I caught a glimpse of the pilot who the Bible calls the Ancient of Days. He's no rookie pilot. His name is Jesus Christ. And he came down from heaven to this earth to secure us and put us on board. He's gone back to heaven. He's promised to return to take us safely home there if we entrust ourselves by boarding that plane by faith and resting in Christ. Here's the promise to you, my friends, that are suffering so much with your struggles. He's given you his promise Faithful is he who calls you. He will also do it. He will surely do it. If you rest in that by faith, it'll give you great mental health. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we don't live by explanation. We, we live by promise. Lord, we've all experienced some delays in life and uh, significant turbulence, but Jesus is faithful all the way. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We, we believe that by faith. We claim it, and I pray for my friends now that you'd comfort them. If they don't know Jesus, help them to embrace the gospel. Choose to believe right now in this moment. You say yes to Jesus, save me. And to those who are struggling as believers, rest in him. Don't look for an explanation. Just live by promise. He's going to take care of you. He's going to get you home. And one day, not only your body, but your mind will be perfectly clear and righteous and holy, forever made just like Jesus. Thank you for that truth, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>